When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, anyway, this is the one and only Back to the 80s radio show, and I am Toscano. We are here introducing the 80s to a whole new generation, reminiscing on the memories that made that generation the best. Ladies and gentlemen, we're here every single Friday for you and for us, reminding you to please like our fake, our fake book, <laughs> like our fake book, that too, say it slow, say it slow. Like our Facebook page, where you can drop us a note and let us know what topics from the 80s you would like to hear. We also want to remind you guys to be a part of our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash back to the 80s. All that we ask is that you subscribe to our show. Leave us a comment on any platform that you listen to because it helps. It does help us out. With me today, as he is every single Friday, is a man that goes to malls and just hangs out at Sparrow's waiting for the 80s to come back once again. His collection of members-only jackets can only be seen on display at the Smithsonian Museum. But here at Back to the 80s Radio, we call him The Chang. How the heck are you, my friend? Well, my brother, my partner in crime, I am always at the top of my game. And yes, my collection of members-only jackets are not all mine. No, no, no. I went to the high school lockers and stole as many members-only jackets at Montebello High School. I did that. I did that all by myself. Did you know, Chang, that the members-only jackets have never stopped being in production? They still make them, and they still sell them. Are you serious? And not all, Yeah, absolutely. And I actually saw somebody on TV, uh, a younger, a millennial, wearing a bright yellow one to go with his outfit wow now i have not seen a bright yellow members only jacket since my uncle was alive and he used to sport a yellow a very light kind of a pastel yellow a members only jacket. yeah that's yeah that's exactly what it was like yeah and i, I recall going uncle vic you know i love you well yes me huh but why the hell are you wearing such a hideous-looking jacket? And uh, the question to, to, to you, Toscano, and all our listeners, members only, but yeah. they were sold in such an abundance, there couldn't have been of a source. Yeah. Who, <laughs> no. How could you Do get you... a membership by wearing this ugly jacket? Is that the whole pitch of uh, members only? However, you, let's be honest, all right? Anybody who's ever worn a members only jacket can tell – I mean, this is a fact. Those jackets are some of the most comfortable jackets known to man. Mm. Come on. Let's be honest. 
They well, are some of the most comfortable and comfort wise, the most comfortable jackets ever made. Well, we got to yeah, give me that one at least. Well, I'll give you that one now. The Chang never sported a members only jacket. Now, remember, I oh, told come you, on, on. I told you on a past show, and Ant gave me a members only jacket, and uh, I felt like slapping He's lying, her. Ladies and I just felt like slapping her. I was like, do you understand? I've got long hair. I'm a rocker. I don't wear members only jackets, and I yeah, don't wear do. windbreakers like the Fonzie. No, I don't. <laughs> We have a fantastic show today, and if you just joined us, we're going to be talking about the music industry. What the heck is going on with it? And we're going to be talking to Victor Levine from Force Field Studios in Los Angeles, producer, studio manager, engineer, and much more. So stick around, because Back to the 80s Radio is coming right back. We're coming for your heads and your soul. Because we hadn't lived through this decade yet. You're listening to Back to the 80s. Welcome back to Back to the 80s. You are listening, hopefully with a friend, if not a friend, a family member. Tonight we are going to talk about music of the past and the present to a certain degree because our show is not about the present. And bear with me, but a lot of the music nowadays sucks. All in all in a handbasket. Toscano, I want to bring up I want to bring up a topic. And this is very dear to my heart, okay? And I'm sure it's very dear to your heart. Now, what is the ridiculousness of the Hall of Fame of rock and roll? Why is it that we are seeing more artists that are not of the rock and roll genre being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when we've had such great bands that have not even gotten enough votes to be grinned upon this last induction election iron maiden was not put in it but yet the foo fighters were nominated which personally i think the foo fighters are not that great of a band i think they're a little bit poppy and i think they're a little bit too modern to even be thought of to join the rock and roll hall of fame i mean come on bro it's a hall of shame not a hall of fame and it has nothing to do anymore with the term rock and roll would you not agree You know, as with recent years, once again, the fan voted ballot hasn't reflected the final outcome. You know, for metal fans and real rock fans, here we go again. Iron Maiden, left out. Left out of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Judas Priest, left out. Once again, left out of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. What happened with other members of of bands? Of Let's go back to bands from the 70s and 80s, of course. One of those bands in particular, now, regardless of whether you like them or not, this is not about what we like or not. It's about justice to these bands because there have been tons of bands sitting on the sidelines since the 80s and they've been left sucking their thumb. And one of those bands is Motorhead. Metallica's induction makes the omission even more glaring since they've never hid Motorhead's huge influence on their music. You know, the late Lemmy, brilliant mixing of punk and metal with a double bass kick drum to keep things, you know, charging forward still sounds brand new. Come on. Then we've got Iron Maiden, which have never having cross crossover hit. It seems to to have doomed Iron Maiden from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And this is something that really ticks me off. And then you have bands like Pantera, Judas Priest, and guess what, bro? Megadeth not in there. And then, of course, Ronnie James Dio, you know, yeah, he was a legend, but you know what? He sang for Black Sabbath, so, you know, since Black Sabbath's already in, oh, well. 
you know, Ronnie James Dio doesn't deserve to be there. And bands like V-52s and some other bands. Now, like I said, regardless if I don't like them or, or not, it's not about that. It's about these are great bands that have meant so much to the world of music. They have sold over 100 million albums. I mean, come on. And they're not there. You know, uh, talking about that, uh, Shaka Khan uh, being brought up into the mix is not rock. The other one that, that really bothers me, and I know uh, a lot of uh, our listeners may get mad, the Go-Go's. I'm sorry, but the Go-Go's to me did not, uh, how could I word this without pissing anybody off? Here, I'll, I'll say I'll deserve. The Go-Go's in no way, shape, or form deserved to be called a rock and roll band. They were a pop band. I mean, uh, I just I, I can't understand the reasoning, the logic that uh, these uh, these people are voting these bands in. And like I said, the Foo Fighters, I, I just don't call them a hard rock band. I, I'm sorry, I just don't. You know, I look at Dave Grohl and I was like, yeah, you're the guy that was in Nirvana. Okay, but uh, I, I just find it preposterous. I think it's ridiculous. Now, uh, I read an article earlier today where even Gene Simmons of KISS, and you know I'm not a big fan of Gene Simmons, the Donald Trump of hard rock, but uh, even he thought it was disgusting that such great rock and roll bands have been overlooked. Right, right. And in their place, pop culture has put their groups in. LL Cool J, I can't even stand that <laughs> watching him on uh, that uh, L.A. cop show with uh, the guy that played Robin in the weakest Batman and Robin of all time, Chris O'Donnell. I mean, come on. This is not about the genres that we like or not. It's not about that. It's about an entity, an agency being called Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, okay? That is a particular genre that includes many subgenres within it. However, rap is not in there, okay? It shouldn't be. Right. Just like right. classical music should not be in there because it's not rock and roll. Country music is another. Correct. Country music should not be in there because it's not rock and roll. Now, regardless, we can all say, sure, we can all say, you know what? Well, the roots of it are rock and roll. The roots of well, yeah, the roots are probably somewhere jazz or somewhere in the medieval times. And we're not going to uh, just go back to playing that kind of music. It's not about that. And then you get, look, who was the other one? Jay-Z. Give me a break. I mean, give me a break. And then you got artists, of course, uh, like Ozzy Osbourne, right? Although in his in his situation, there were some personal issues because he attempted to remove Black Sabbath's name from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nomination in 1999. He, he called it meaningless. All right. So, you know, he, he probably has what is coming to him. But what about let's go with other bands who've who've expressed, you know, no, no interest. However, Deep down inside, come on, these are bands that would love to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and they deserve it. Such bands as Scorpions, that has sold over 100 million albums worldwide, headlining performances for over the last 40 years. Slayer, Sammy Hagar, okay, who had two platinum, one gold-selling album even before joining Van Halen, and then three more top 25 solo projects afterward. My question is, bro... Who is making the rules? Who are these people that they are allowing to vote? Because whoever it is know nothing about rock and roll. Oh, I agree. And I'm going to go on a limb and I'm going to call anybody that is being utilized to vote for the inductees to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I call these guys a bunch of brain dead ass clowns. Yes, 
You can bleep me out if you want, but uh, I'm going to stand by that. It's just ridiculous. Uh, you know, rock and roll was uh, one of the first sounds that came out here in the States. And if you remember, we go all the way back, brother. We go all the way back to uh, great bands like Jerry Lee Lewis, uh, Little Richard. Uh, you know, some say Elvis Presley isn't really the king of rock and roll, that he did sound, he steal the rock and roll vibe and sound from the black, uh, black uh, musical culture. But uh, Chuck Berry, I mean, such greats like that that started rock and roll. And then you have the Fab Four and the Who and the Rolling Stones. And such great bands that came in uh, to the rock and roll scene and created the rock rock and roll scene to what we have today. When the Country Music Awards come out, all right, and they were to give their award to Jay-Z or LL Cool J, how would the rest of the artists feel? How would the fans of country music feel? It's not going to happen, right? So why is the, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame allowing it? I'm going to tell you why. Because they suck. And you know what? I am no fan of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They have let me down one too many times. Bands that have been on the sidelines for 40 years, man, and they're not in there. And here comes an artist that's not even in the genre of rock and roll and wins it. And they barely started in the 90s, bro. Where's the justice in that? Give me a break. They've even brought up Rage Against the Machine, which to me, I like Rage Against the Machine. I'm a hard rock kind of guy. Now, I do dig their music, but it's way too early for them to be nominated. It's way too early for them to even be discussed. As a matter of fact, Correct. Uh, Bruce Dickinson was not surprised Correct. that they were not inducted. And he said even if they were, his band would not attend because they feel the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is a mere joke. That's bottom line. It is a joke, and it's just a disgrace to all rock bands who've tried and have sold and have proved and have gathered and gained a reputation of who they are, a great band, and it's just a disgrace and an embarrassment to everybody who loves real rock and roll. This is Back to the 80s Radio. We're going to be right back. Here's John Sells, Wild Dreams in July, only on Back to the 80s Radio.
Dreams in July by John Sells, Warren Ryder on vocals, James Stroud on drums, Kathy McKee on harmony vocals. Catch your copy of John Sells at forcefieldstudios.com. You're listening to Back to the 80s Radio. I'm Toscano from Toscano and Chang. And if you've just joined us, I want to thank you guys for making Back to the 80s Radio part of your day. And want to keep motivating you guys to head on over to our Facebook page, join the group as well, and please Interact with others. Leave us, leave us your pictures, your comments. If there's anything you, you guys want us to talk about here on the show, we'd be more than glad and happy to do it. So leave us those comments. It, it means so much to us. You know, we were talking about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and we're going off on a rant because because of so many bands that have been snubbed out. And, you know, there's there are bands who you might say, well, they don't belong in, in the Hall of Fame. Uh, so that's okay that they didn't make it. But you know what? Once they start letting other genres come in, everything goes. Wouldn't you say that, Chang? Oh, I would agree. I mean, like we were talking a, a couple of seconds ago off air. George Michael, a great talent, right? One of the greatest vocalists, I think, of his day, of his era, of that genre. But even somebody as great with the lyrical content that that guy had the range, he doesn't deserve to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because Wham and him weren't rock and roll. I, I, I just, I find it preposterous that we even call it a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Could It should be the Rock and Roll Hall of Shame. It should be, or it should be just called the Music Hall of Fame, right? And look how long it took Stevie Ray Vaughan and Double Trouble to be inducted, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I remember in 2019, in 2019, when they inducted The Cure, okay, now, See, regardless, once again, I was going to say, regardless of whether you like him or not, you know, when they in, when they interviewed both when they interviewed Robert Smith and when he went up there, he was not a happy guy. No, no. because and he let everybody know. I mean, he was not happy no matter. I know they they won, but he was not a happy camper because of everything that goes down in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. You know, then we got bands like NXS who don't even have a chance, of course. I'm, I'm so downright pissed off about it every year. I haven't even looked into uh, the scoring issue that they uh, come up with to induct some of these acts. I really don't. I just find it preposterous. Let's go over some of the performers that have been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Number one, the Foo Fighters, followed by the Go-Go's, Jay-Z, Carol King, Todd Rundgren, Tina Turner, all right, Clarence Avant, LL Cool J, Billy Preston, Randy Rhodes. Wow, there's there's a good one. Kraftwerk. Who? Kraftwerk. I don't know. Gil Scott Heron or Heron. Charlie Patton. Who the hell is that? Well, you've been listening to Back to the 80s, Toscano and Chang. We're going to take a quick break here. Coming back, we have our interview with the legendary Victor Levine. Hey, if you listen to rock and roll radio in the 80s, then listen to this. Toscano and Chang. They will transport you 
back in time, back to the 80s. If they were a laxative, they'd be so powerful you could stand on your head and sh** on the ceiling. That position would not only be unavailing, but also undignified. And now, back to the 80s with Toscano and Chang. This is Back to the 80s Radio. This is Toscano from Toscano and Chang. I want to keep reminding you guys to stick around with us because Toscano and Chang and the madness that we bring to you is coming up every single Friday, but soon to be K-Hits 92.5 online and around the world. Now, as promised before the break, we have a very, very special guest from Force Field Studios, Victor Levine, who is... Of course, among other things, a business insider, studio manager, producer, engineer, songwriter, musician. How do you have the time to even spare some time for us? Mario, it's a pleasure to be on, and I thank you. And I'm, I'm so happy that you're following the 80s because it was a terrific time, uh, a whole fountain of creativity. And uh, I never get tired of listening to the music, honestly. Well, it's great to have you, Victor. How do you remember the music industry of the 80s? Um, it was really kind of exciting because technologically, I, I, I've owned equipment for so long that I tend to follow the storyline of the electronics. And from I bought a reel-to-reel tape recorder and had it in my bedroom when I was 13. So... Uh, when when the equipment got more sophisticated and the Porta Studio started in the 70s, actually, and it, the the tools eventually became put into the hands of the creators. And that's what happened in the 80s, because now instead of having to go, when I first had a studio, you wanted to make a demo, you had to come to a studio. By the When the 80s started, Everybody had their own Porta studio, then the drum machines came in, then the synthesizers became affordable. So it was really an explosion of talent because everybody had access to the equipment. And, and, and a lot of, a lot of uh, trends followed in that and the record companies got on board and, and that's when individual what we have today, you know, everybody makes a project and uploads on Spotify or something. But but then that was when that first started becoming feasible, and and uh, it was really the the end to record sound on sound. Yes, exactly. Now, Victor, I have a question, and, and it's kind of in the same grounds, and we're talking about the music industry and the different mm, styles, uh, genres, even the talent, I believe, has changed dramatically from the early 70s and the 80s. I always consider the 80s as the floodgate of music. We had so many diverse bands, so much different talent, but it was sheer raw talent. Uh, I think MTV killed, killed the radio, and I will stand by that. Would you not say that the talent pool in today's music is very shallow in comparison to some of the musical talent that we have had in the past. And I ask you this question because you, sir, are we're directly in the middle of the swimming pool of so much talent hitting you. Uh, it was probably hard to keep track of and, and hard to contain to get these artists in the studio and play nice and play professional to bring out such great music. I'm really glad that you asked me that because... 
it's really important here to define what you mean by work with. Um, so as a studio operator, my job was to keep the studio going. And I was very careful to be in the sessions and not in the sessions at the right time. Most of the time, as in 90 some odd percent of the time, my job was to be out of the session in my office, taking care of business so that everything worked. And especially at Amigo, where I had seven rooms online and 15,000 square feet to manage and, you know, going night and day, there was a lot going on. So in terms of being in the studio, what, what my kind of creative part of my, my agenda, because like everybody else that I really met in the studio world, they started out as a musician, of course, and realized that, you know, being in front of the camera on stage wasn't going to be their destiny. So they, they veered off in a different direction. So I had a fellow that I grew up with who was in the career world. And over time, when I had studio time, we would go in and record and do work on stuff for him. That guy is John Sells. And over the period of 20 and 30 years, he put out records with other people. And when he passed, I had put in all this time, but you know, he couldn't stay straight, basically. He, he was a wonderful guy, but he just couldn't, you know, couldn't do it. And, and so I was left with all his material. And so I said, what am I going to do? I'm not going to throw it away. I put a lot of work into this. <laughs> so I started developing it. And over time, so that's the, the focal point. But besides that, I've worked with, um, over the years, uh, Randy California was a pretty good friend of mine from Spirit. And I did, uh, wrote and did demos with him, not at Amigo, at Fidelity, uh, Greg Reeves from Crosby Stills Nash Young, Reeves and Taylor. Greg and I did some stuff together. Uh, I worked with, uh, Mila Jovovich. The, you know, I got her, she came to us as a, I got her, uh, I did her demos and, <laughs> No, I didn't need, I didn't even know that she sang. Well, she didn't. She she was when we when she came to me and my management partner, she was about 15 and she kind of had this modeling career and right. but she was she had Russian her mother was a Russian actress, very dramatic person and she Camilla was very um dramatic and passionate and then she had this poetry and so they kind of somehow or other they showed us the poetry and I went with her and I showed her how we wrote her first songs together and then um, we got her record deal and a publishing deal and she you know but she was already had a, this other kind of career so you know that sure. was a big that was a big you know thing for me but in terms of circling back with like the gold records I have like behind me, I'll take a picture of it. I've got, um, you know, the David Lee Roth. This is in the in Amigo. There was Amigo. Amigo existed for quite some time. I told you I could go on for a long time. Amigo was bought by Warner Brothers uh, a year or two after Snuff Garrett started it, and and over the years it was their studio, and we had they had a mastering studio there too, two mastering studios. So. There was recording and mastering and a huge tape library. And uh, the Warner Brothers, and it was on the comm lines of the Warner Brothers building. What happened, the history of Amiga, which I thought, because, you know, when I heard your podcast, Jang, and I heard you reeling off these names, I was like, wait a minute. I knew every one of those bands. We did all of those demos. And 
and you know, it was just like that's kind of. Uh, I told Mario one of my attractions to the show was his voice, and one of my attractions to you is I was. I thought like you know you were around during those times, so I'm sure that somehow we could connect on some level. I got him. I have one for you. Okay, Frankie Finelli, the drummer for Quiet Riot, he recently died. So anyhow, so so I was producing. Is there's this artist named David Della Rosa who was, you know, basically a fringe, talented fringe, you know, but he was really good. So, so somehow or other, between his brother and uh, Frankie somehow liked him, and they wanted to put together and make a record, and had a different studio. I had Crystal Studios at the time. They wanted to make a record, but of course nobody really had any money. So what we used to do, what was very common in the recording business, is that when people who had somehow been anointed geniuses were there, the the habit was for the engineer to spool up the tape and just let it run. Don't press start and stop because you'd interrupt the genius. So the tapes just ran and ran and ran and ran. Well, the tapes cost about $175 a piece, these two-inch tapes. So it wasn't for nothing. So in the studio world, you would find tapes with like basically nothing on it or like like two seconds of a drum track or somebody coughing and noodling around. And then eventually, you know, they'd figure out what they wanted to record. And that would be the take that they'd use to do the rest of the overdubs on. But really back to the beginning of the story, there was we didn't have any money for tape to record this you know, fringe artist, David De La Rosa. So I went into the tape library and I found some tapes that like, that somebody had recorded on, which I'm, I'm uh, somebody really famous had recorded on, but they didn't make any sounds, you know, it was like nothing. And I knew that they were never coming back for it. So that's what we used to make his record. Erased what was on there. <laughs> and we had a fresh roll of tape. No, oh, that's awesome. In In your opinion, Two major differences, one or two, between how music was produced back then in the 80s than it is today. And do those differences make any difference for the listener today? Is I mean, is it better now? And I don't mean technologically. I mean, everything else behind the scenes. Or was it better back then for whatever the reason? Great questions. And there's uh, a lot of differences. The the primary difference is the migration of the equipment from needing to work with multiple people versus working by yourself. And um, this is something I've actually written about. I write too. So, uh, the, but the idea is that in the eighties, if you wanted to make a record and you wanted to get signed to a record deal, and uh, one group that I was very involved with, I'm sorry, Chang, now I remember is Reverend. David Wayne, and and so a, a typical journey from to, in the eighties to get to a record deal was you had this guy David Wayne who was the lead singer of, of, of Lords of the New Church, which is the first grunge band out of Seattle. He came down and somehow uh, record executive Danny uh, Goldberg, I think, uh, no, um, Danny something, I can't remember, uh, Goodwin, Danny Goodwin at Charisma Records. And at the time, uh, I was doing a lot of demos for people. And uh, at the time, I had a deal. And Suicidal Tendencies did this deal. 
Poison did this deal. I made a list of all the people because it was like a thing. And I, I called it the three, four, five deal. It was three songs, four days, five grand. And I sold a lot of packages. Then what, what happened is the labels called me up with a project and cause they, I, they, uh, my skill was knowing which engineer or producer to put it together who knew the system that we could get a result and get some demos, real demos, viable demos. So this is, was typical at the time. And we had many acts, including suicidal tendencies, go to deal like this. And so at the time, you know, I get sent this tape from from the record guy and it was just and it's a tape of them in a rehearsal and that's where it started it had to be the band live in rehearsal and the the tape sounded so bad that i i remember i said to him i called him back and i said he said what do you think of it and i said well to be honest with you it sounds like somebody taped a, a microphone to the back of an air conditioner and we had <laughs> and we had a really good laugh about it. And I said, "But well, I got just the engineer who would know how to deal with this." So I brought in my good, my top guy, Croyle, who's got all kinds of other things. He's a great guy, very talented. And uh, and that was the start of Reverend's first demo. And then that went to record deal, and we they made four albums, and we wound up managing them because you know they trusted us. So that was the 80s. Today, the whole world has shifted so that, uh, from what I understand, and it's shifted to a point where I'm, I'm only a spectator from a distance, but the, today, all the tools to do make all those sounds, and even to make all the visuals, are in the hands of everybody with a smartphone. So, so, what, so what you have is, and, and better is a, better is a relative term because what you have is that people now, their typical attention span is short. So what are they going to listen to? They're going to listen to something that's fast and moving like them. And that's why TikTok is so popular and, you know, all the other, you know, fast platforms. I mean, for my, but that's really, that's, uh, on my opinion, that's very much in this culture. We have a lot of fans. I mean, a lot of our fans. Most of our fans are in the rest of the world because the rest of the world still actually listens to music. Yeah, yeah. We know and, what you mean because the same thing happens with back to the 80s. The majority of the countries listening to to us still listen to real music. And by real music, I just mean the way that you were, you know, without speeding up, without wanting to go on to the next thing 15 seconds into it. Yeah, or or five seconds into it. I mean, K-pop, K-pop is really it's it's an amazing thing. You know, I like I said, I could talk for a long time about it. But anyhow, just giving you guys some ideas. Uh, if you want to follow up on any of these, we can you know do it by email or another phone call. But I don't want to take up too much of your time. But like K-pop and TikTok are really the leading edge of things. But to me, the music is only a component of it. You know, so it's not really music. It's Back not the, the star 80s, of it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, so, so realistically, and I think the importance of the music of the eighties, which is why I think that if your show is very exciting, is that if you all of the styles, all of the styles from uh, hip hop to synth pop 
to grunge, all of those things really are represented in the 80s, everything, because that was when it became technologically possible to do all that stuff, even auto-tune and the whole thing. So the 80s are really, they're really like the flowering of all the styles. You know, it's interesting because I have uh, one of my nephews who is in his mid-20s, you know, a college graduate with today's mentality and only likes today's things and whatever. So he, he, he mentioned to me a while back ago during a, a little family get together, he goes, do you realize you're just repeating what your parents said to you about their, about their music? And I said, well, actually let's think about it. It's not really true because today's music, it's not anything that you haven't heard before, as opposed to the eighties where all that music, the glam metal, the hair metal, the, the beginnings of thrash and all that stuff was new to us. There wasn't anything like it before. So that's why it will go on forever as opposed to today where you have 500 million uh, singers that go to X factor and America's got talent and all these talent shows that you'll never hear from again. As Mario brought up that, that, that was a great point, bro. Now, this is where it gets crazy, where both me and Mario are on the same page and we've discussed this. Now, I think seeing that the 80s were so close to the 70s, uh, where we had such great music as Motown, where we had uh, the the uh, the rock that was not not classified as classic, but his acid rock with Aerosmith, Judas Priest, uh, you know, great bands like UFO, Thin Lizzy, yeah, Steely Dan, the, the Eagles, Linda Ronstadt. Uh, I think that the eighties yeah. uh, talent kind of flowered from the early 70s, late 70s uh, seeds that were planted in music. And I think with the decade change and the time that has passed, the talent of music now has been a lot more watered down than we go back into the 80s. And like Mario said, uh, you know, uh, the the evolution of the grunge, uh, of uh, thrash metal, of glam metal, which I call pretty metal, poser boys, but what that's on another show. Um, I think we are so far in the music industry with talent from when it, the necessity hit in the early, late 70s, that has added to, I think, a cheapening of music nowadays. And I also think that's why terrestrial radio is pretty much got one foot in the grave and the other one in the urn. Uh, what are your take? What would your take be on that? Uh, you, you're 100 percent right. And I, I agree with you that the talent pool is uh, what I call talent. The musical talent pool, I believe, is a lot shallower. Uh, in pop music, and there's some very good reasons why. And the principal one is that you don't actually need to learn how to play an instrument. <laughs> and as somebody who's got calluses for days, who still plays, who's practiced, and I'm multi-instrumentalist, I can play a lot of instruments. When somebody says, oh, you want to, you want a bass sound here? Doink, doink, doink. Now I'm a bass player. You know, and so, so <laughs> the idea, you know, to me, the dividing line is, are they a musician or are they using music to create sounds? Which is a, a valid thing. It's fine. But to me, I'm a musician and I prefer music. And, you know, that I guess that's so. And I think that, and in the 80s, <laughs> 
I'll tell you it's a fun, I'll tell you a little side story for that one. Uh, when uh, when I was when I was recording with Cells in the, in Los Angeles, he uh, you know was dating somebody, which was a frequent you know affair, uh, good last for at least a day or two. Anyhow, so he says I said, well, how was your date last night? He says, oh, it's okay. She said, she says, right. yeah, but she told me she was a bass player. And so we went over and like I gave her, a, you know, she brought her bass over and like I thought we were going to jam. And but she didn't know any notes. I said, what do you mean? He says, well, I told her, I said, let's play in the key of E. And she says, what's that? And he says, you know, like the E string. She goes, huh? And then, then he says, and, you know, you could play. And right. then the third fret is, is a G. And she's like, well, why do I need to know that? Uh, <laughs> So that that to sure. me like I, I can't contest that and that and those are the people that actually have 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 had success. These people who were not talented. I had there was another group. If you want to go back to the early eighties, it's called the Fools. The Fools and Simone Postuma, <laughs> this Dutch guy, was the front man for it. Simone is a famous character because. He brought the, he, the colors of Morocco and influenced the Beatles. Anyhow, this is a long story. I'm, I go back a long way to I'll warn you. So anyhow, uh, so anyhow, so the, he was just like this cool guy who would influence the Beatles. So they said, naturally, well, let's make a recording group out of it. He wasn't a musician. He was like this thing, you know, a, a public thing. And so that was at the time everybody's like had their eye up like oh, what the heck is this you know but it worked because he was cool he actually was cool but today people are just po you know posing posing used to be a pejorative as we say so anyhow so it's a really it's really different but there's there's a lot of talented people the basic answer is the basic answer is that in the 80s, you still had to actually learn how to play an instrument in order to so call yourself a musician. And, or, and your sure, singer, sure. you have to be able to carry a tune to call yourself a singer. Now that we're on the subject, real brief on the te technological side of it or the hardware side, if you for a second go back to records, cassettes, CDs versus streaming. Uh, as a producer, okay, this is nothing to do as the listener, but as the producer... In your opinion, what would be the closest thing in the recording studio to the real thing in front of you? Uh, it, you know what? It's a very fair question. It's a great question. And the answer is going to surprise you. It depends on the engineer. Because a good, because a good engineer can make crap sound good. And a, ba and a bad engineer can't make a, a need sound like a, you know, anything. So... But in general, in general, um, and I've been there for the, the analog digital wars for a long time. In general, analog is, has a warmer sound and it's a more natural sound and people, you know, biological creatures like humans tend to like it. Uh, you're aware that vinyl is making is presence and the technology of vinyl has uh, has has gotten a lot better what's your take on the rebirth of vinyl and uh 
the sound that vinyl put out then as comparison to the sound it puts out now? Yes, of course. And and again, uh, it's so great that you appreciate sound quality. And sound quality has, as to streaming, I'll tell you something about streaming that a lot of people are unaware of, is that all streaming is not created equal. Uh, Spotify streams at a much lower bit rate than Amazon Prime. And as a result, and you, and all the very end, they're constantly changing, and you know, there's all the compression. So the signal path to your ear is long and complicated. And, 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 uh, when, you know, I upload tracks and all the distributors still want everything in 1644. So, you know, so 44 bit, you know, so, you know, 44K. So it's the, the listening experience can be improved at any level and getting a good pair of headphones, getting a good cassette deck, getting a good uh, original medium. I'm friends with a guy who's, um, you know, I own lathes, so I, you know, I actually know about cutting lacquer. So this fellow who's who, who's still working now, he's up in the mountains, um, and he he, um, I digitized uh, some tapes, and I had some of my two inch was really dicey, so I brought it to him, and he baked them just the right way, and was able to digitize them. What he said. In his opinion, and this is like he's way past me, and I'm a studio guy, so he said that the order is cassettes, um, CDs are the worst quality, (laughs) followed by tape, and the highest quality is acetate. So that's the pecking order. And, And so your ears are not deceiving you. It's like the Pepsi and the Coke challenge then. You're listening to Back to the 80s. If you just joined us, we have Victor Levine, and we're going to be back with more Back to the 80s radio, Toscano and Chang, and possibly a hater. Back to the 80s. Let me explain something to you. I am a vintage, mass-marketed children's toy from the 80s. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Cats and kitties and all you 80s ladies, we are sitting here chatting away with the legend, that's right, the legend, Victor Levine, and we're talking about 80s production. This guy is all over. I read over uh, so many acts that you worked with, and uh, a question comes to mind. This was one of my favorite slash punk slash metal bands, uh, Suicidal Tendencies. Uh, what was it like to work with this band? And, and could you maybe explain a little bit to our listeners who may not be familiar or who don't understand why I gave them the slash metal punk rock rating? Could you dive into a, a couple of stories that you might have of, of uh, Mike and the Boys? Yeah, yeah, happy, happy to talk about suicidal tendencies. And the first thing is, is that they were one of a couple of bands. There was Real Kill Cult, Faster Pussycat, yep. Rat, um, uh, Poison, I think we did their demo. So they came in and the idea was that they want, they came to Amigo Studios because Amigo Studios had developed a reputation where uh, Metallica had cut Master of Puppets. Oh, yes, again. And, and, and Michael Wagner, and I got the record behind me. So, and Michael Wagner 
uh, was the engineer producer, and he had a string of hits there. We did uh, Dawkins, we did White Lion, and and so in between there, all the up and coming acts like Suicidal Tendencies and the labels. The labels were the one that kind of said, "Hey, you go work over there. They'll figure out what to do." So Suicidal Tendencies was wasn't um, that noticeable to me from my vantage point of the um, uh, office where I generally stayed for my own well-being. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I wasn't exactly a suicidal tendency guy. I'm married my whole life and, you know, I needed to make the equipment work. So, you know, I was very polite and everything, but I'm not like hanging out drinking beers with them. So anyhow, which is a funny story because I remember that they were in Studio A and by the way, I have all the documentation from my years at Amigo, uh, four years of every, uh, I have a desk log and a night log and the booking calendar of, of everything that went on. So, cause, oh yeah, this is, it's, it's, I'll talk to you about that sometime. But anyhow, and there was, and I told everybody, all the second engineers and everybody who worked at my desk, which was man night and day for four years, they had to fill out the day log or the night log and say what happened, who did what, money in, food runs, whatever. So anyhow, so it was, and this is how I would keep an eye on what was going on. I'd read, it's like, okay, who's in, who's, what time did they get out, how much, you know, was their billing and the engine, you know, it's like business. And so... What I remember is the suicidal tendencies. I think they were uh, tracking and we were doing some kind of construction. And in the course of the construction, there was a toilet that had been removed and <laughs> set aside on the hallway next to, next to their control room. <laughs> and, um, I guess in, in, in a fit of, in a fit of, um, maybe they got lost at night or whatever, but, um, that they, 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 you know, we've discovered that they had used the toilet. And so uh, I, I was not, I was not really happy. I don't know if I, 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 and that's what I remember about him. And I said, and I remembered the band. I said, that's a good name for these guys. <laughs> I mean, they're in a beautiful studio, and they're really—they go in the hallway and take a crap in the thing, but you know, <laughs> just saying. Let's let's talk a little bit about radio, because that is that is our world, and from what it was to the '80s to what happened in the '90s and today, in order for it to get to a point where it's once again with that same spirit that it had in the eighties. What, in other words, what would it take to make radio fun and exciting again, in your opinion? Uh, personalities like yourself and creative. Oh, I appreciate it. Create both of you guys, creative, passionate, knowledgeable people who want to connect. We actually are connected to radio stations all over the world now. And you guys more resemble the world model people who just are telling the truth, believing what they say and going with it and and not trying to please all the people all the time, just being real. So you guys have, I've heard your skits I like. I like radio. My my uh, my wife, Catherine, she uh, started out as a radio producer, produced uh, the big uh, talk show down in San Diego, uh, 
what you know all every day so we work way into radio uh, and you know and to change point about mtv i gotta say i i agree with it to some extent because ray music used to be something you listen to now it's something that you watch which you know it's just an entirely different thing to me why do you think that terrestrial radio has taken the dive that it has would you say Clear it's channel? A, a mixture of the i was i was just going to say that cumulus i was going to ask you do you actually believe like i do corporate america and their greedy little hands stopped caring about the product and it was more about the revenue and they tried to water down and cheapen the airwaves by giving everybody less music popular kind of the same structure of music and they don't pay attention to radio personalities anymore now me as you i grew up uh sworn to the radio the radio was was everything to me and i grew up listening to kmet klos i am a uh knac listener uh, i grew up listening to k west uh, i remember listening to the real dawn steel on am radio at 93 khj and i remember i looked at my mom and my dad and i said that's what i effing want to do when i'm a big boy music and and radio to me uh, are very I hold them to my heart and I know my buddy will attest to this I really firmly believe that music and humor are the greatest entities of all mankind that can bring anyone of any color sexual preference uh, religion together at one place at one time and that is harmony I firmly believe that uh, only through unity are we going to create prosperity and I think with the dying era of radio that we see and uh, the accumulation of so many networks that are just going to go ahead and let you download music you you miss you miss that neighborhood window that brings both jock and listeners all together with not even being in the room together. Chang, I, I hear you, and uh, but I have some good news for you. The proliferation of internet-based radio, which we are on hundreds of stations worldwide, is the antidote to the problems that you've just correctly described. And the idea that corporate America is taking something and just trying to make it into a plastic replication factory of itself and squeeze out profit. That's what, that's what business often does. And it's not limited to the record business. And what the antidote is, Toscano and Chang. <laughs> Victor, it's been a pleasure to have you with us. And I, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know we went a little overboard, but, uh, you know, it's always when you have a great in the room, there's nothing better than to pick from that great mind. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you for doing what you're doing. Uh, you're, you're got a good vibe going and I'm happy to be a part of it. And call me again. We'll talk more. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm so long winded, but you know, I, I've survived that long enough that that's a lot of. Keep rocking. Thanks a lot, Victor. If you don't mind, I may steal some of your words, something that that I think is very apropos for the moment. But to all 80s fans listening, in spite of the many dramatic and heartfelt and sometimes tragic moments in different people's lives, always try to remember that there are only two things in the universe that matter, the ones that matter and the ones that don't. And the ability to distinguish the difference 
to keep it all in perspective, to laugh as much as possible. <laughs>